guys. This is Jim Gavin from the Key of Awesome Music podcast coming at you today to talk about song structures, the pop formula, if you will, and my thoughts on that, as well as kind of diving a little bit deeper into every part of a song in popular music. So we'll start off with my thoughts on the standard verse, which is something building into the chorus in anticipation. The chorus, which is usually super catchy, the verse, the chorus, the bridge. Bridge is usually something a little different, which veers from the rest of the song for a short change, which is also known as a coda. And then the chorus. So we have verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus. That's pretty much the standard pop formula for songs. Okay. Just because the standard formula for mainstream songs is the aforementioned blurb doesn't mean it has to be followed to the T. Bob Dylan doesn't follow this formula at all. He has seven to eight verses in some of his songs with a quick one-line refrain rather than a separate chorus all on its own. We know that the standard pop song formula is verse-chorus, verse-chorus, bridge-chorus, like I said before. And sometimes it's even simpler than that. Sometimes it's just verse-chorus, verse-chorus, plain and simple. However, there can be several variations of this formula, and no one says you have to follow it at all if you don't want to. That's the beauty about music. You could do your own thing, and it doesn't have to be the same regurgitated sounds and melodies of everyone else out there. I love when people think and act outside the box when it comes to creating a song. To me, that's where the real genius lies. Will it sell once finished? Maybe, maybe not. But you're taking the same chance on writing the way everyone else does by following the pop formula, so to speak. There's no guarantee that the song will sell or become famous on either path. So why not be original and come up with a structure entirely on your own? Say something like, Chorus, 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 or chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, bridge, outro. Just some ideas. For me, writing a song is very much like putting a puzzle together, like I talked about in previous podcasts. A musical puzzle, that is. Each part has to fit just perfectly in order for the entire thing to sound and flow right. There are many ways to accomplish the same thing here. Make it original, make it memorable, make it unforgettable, make it you. Which leads me to talk about different parts of songs now like i mentioned it in the intro of this little podcast but i wanted to get a little bit deeper into every single part and really get even deeper than you would normally think or even want to go into as far as what a bridge is or the technical name for it which is called a coda so essentially the coda is a fancy name for the bridge of a song usually it takes the song on a short tangent and plays something a little different than the rest of it, both musically and vocally. Phil Lesh of the Grateful Dead once spoke of the coda in an interview, and I was really fascinated with what it meant or how it fits its way into music. This is at a time when I wasn't really playing music at all or performing it or learning it. I was just heard a interview he did, and it seemed really cool, so I wanted to dig a little bit deeper into it once I finally got into being interested in music. At the time, I had no idea what he was talking about, but soon learned it was essentially the bridge. There are so many songs that come to mind when thinking of awesome bridges or codas, if you will, but two that stick out to me are the bridges from Goo Goo Dolls songs, Iris and Name. Neither song have lyrics in the bridge, but rather inspirational musical sections that lift off into another stratosphere. I'm a sucker for strings, so any song that has strings in them, and I'm all ears, literally and figuratively, and they deliver one of the best string arrangements in a pop song I've ever heard in Iris. After listening to and thinking about the decision to not have lyrics or vocals in these bridges, it's a genius move. 
words would only take away from the power the music is presenting in those moments. And it's one of the few times in pop music where the listener won't care that there aren't any. Before I became a musician, I always wanted to hear lyrics in a song. But the more I've studied music in its various styles, shapes, and forms, and learned what goes where, like putting a puzzle together, a musical puzzle, where every song has its own little pieces to connect to to make the best possible version of the song when complete. It's more about placing the right instruments and vocals lyrics in the right spots rather than just muddying up a mix or making a wall of sound rather than beautiful masterpiece. At any rate, here is what Merriam-Webster and Wikipedia had to say about the coda, respectively. Merriam-Webster's definition. An ending part of a piece of music or work of literature or drama that is separate from the earlier parts. Something that ends and completes something else. Wikipedia has to say, a more or less independent passage at the end of a composition introduced to bring it to a satisfactory close. Concluding passage in a musical composition. Technically, it is an expanded cadence. Maybe as simple as a few measures or as complex as an entire section. So, pretty neat. Like any good story or book, the prologue or foreword is a great way to grab people's attention before the bulk of the material is presented. The same goes on for an intro of a song. This could be a particular lead guitar part or a riff that is played alongside a drum and bass section. It could be something sung a cappella before the rest of the band comes in. Whatever it ends up being, its purpose is to set the song up and build some anticipation for the verse. Now we're getting into the meat and potatoes of different parts of songs. So, the verse is a section that comes after the intro, before the pre-chorus or chorus, and then comes back around again after the chorus to post-chorus before the cycle continues one more time around. This is generally what happens in music you hear on the radio, but like anything else, variations of the song progression are out there to examine. The verse is the part of the song which begins to tell the story of the song, lyrically and musically. Usually it's quite barren, maybe drums, bass, acoustic, electric guitar, musically, so as to differentiate itself from the other parts of the song. Towards the end of the verse, you might feel a sense of anticipation leading to the pre-chorus, which brings me to the next section, the pre-chorus. It's usually a short section that comes after the verse and before the chorus or refrain. This builds even more anticipation leading to the chorus, and it sometimes uses a different melodic rhythm or pattern for music and vocals. The first song that comes to mind is Ed Sheeran's Thicking Out Loud, which uses a different musical progression than the verse and the chorus and builds a slight anticipation leading into the chorus where the vocals really soar. There are several songs which use the pre-chorus as a way to build anticipation and make the listener eager to hear what's going to come next. The Foo Fighters' Everlong does the same thing with a sweet electric guitar octave climb-up during the pre-chorus before the chorus comes in to rock your face off. The chorus is pretty self-explanatory. That is the part of the song that's usually the catchiest vocal-wise, lyric-wise, and it's something that's going to get stuck in your head. That's really what the writer or composer is focusing his or her best efforts on, is making a really solid chorus for you to remember. Of course, other parts of the song are just as important, but the chorus is the thing that's usually going to get stuck in your head. The post-chorus is similar to the intro of the song as it reminds the listener of how the song started sometimes, as well as transitions the listener from chorus to second verse. This can be instrumental only or a section with vocals in addition to instruments. More often than not, the post-chorus ends up being the intro of the song played after the chorus. Take Litt's My Own Worst Enemy with that signature guitar riff starting the song off. It returns again after every chorus and even closes out the song. Now we come to a solo. The solo can come whenever the songwriter or artist decides it to come in, but is usually after the second chorus, replacing the bridge or coda, or coming right after the bridge or coda. 
In most cases, this is an instrumental-only section. Maybe light backing vocals like oohs and ahs are present, but put way back in the mix. And last but not least, we have the outro. It's very similar to the intro or post-chorus in that it closes out the final thoughts of the song and usually brings in sections and even the entire intro or post-chorus parts. Sometimes it's a musical fade-out. Sometimes it's an abrupt end after something familiar is already performed. You get the point. Without this song structure, music, especially popular music as we know it, would just sound like chaos with no catchy elements to it. This is why music you hear on the radio does so well as far as spins and sails go. They have repetitive, catchy melodies, both vocally and musically, as well as tells a heartfelt story that most people can relate to in one way or another, most of the time. I use variations of the structure when writing songs and usually allow the song to dictate what it wants for itself rather than the alternative. That's how great songs are written, letting the song tell you what it wants rather than you telling the song what you want to put where. Signing off from the Key of Awesome Music podcast today on song structures and my thoughts on them, this is Jim Gavin. Have a great day, guys. Bye-bye.